Hey, this is Mike. We've heard that some people had problems with the last episode, Lavender. And if you had a problem like it doesn't play or it seems to play a previous episode, what we recommend is that you just delete that one. I've put a new file up. You should be able to upload that new file and get the real show. Now to today's show. Welcome to Lasso Lessons. I'm Mike Merrill. And I'm Kathy Buckman. And today we're talking about season two, episode three of Ted Lasso, Do the Rightest Thing. This is a reference to one of my favorite 80s films, Do the Right Thing, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. Yeah, one of my all-time favorite films. So season two, episode three, Do the Rightest Thing, opens to strains of Alanis Morissette's Hand in My Pocket. And given the show's dedication to 90s music, pop, indie rock, hip hop, and especially singer-songwriters, I guess this was inevitable. Ted meets a new character, Nora, daughter of Flo, and you may remember that Rebecca had been a big part of her life until Nora was about six, when Rebecca basically shut her out in her wifely devotion to Rupert, something that she regrets on a number of levels. This episode will show Rebecca trying to reconnect with Nora but failing as she tries too hard and indulges her in things that no longer matter to the now 12 or 13-year-old Nora. So Rebecca takes Roy's advice, and there he is again, pundit in the making, to simply share her life, and thereby discovers that not only does Nora enjoy coming to work with her, but seems to have some nascent business skills. A girl boss in the making. Meanwhile, Jamie has returned to the team, and his reintegration isn't going so well. He has burned a lot of bridges with Nate, Colin, and especially with Sam. And despite some reasonable efforts on his part, the wounds are simply too deep, hands too numerous, and there's no easy way for him to gain the team's forgiveness and trust. And comically, Jan Moss, our Dutch character, says, I don't even know you and I don't like you. Yeah, I think that there's a bit of an echo with what we as the audience might be feeling. You know, we've sort of said our goodbyes to Jamie as a member of Richmond, and yet here he is. And how do we feel about this? I'm glad he's back. I especially appreciate his interplay with Roy Kent, which we won't see quite here in the locker room, but which will come up. Ted, once again, seems to run into a wall on this, but he actually tries something different. He becomes that guy. Led Tasso, an aggressive, overly critical, even demeaning alter ego. Jamie says that Ted is doing a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And this reference to the classic by Robert Louis Stevenson, in which a mild-mannered scientist unleashes his own dark doppelganger, does seem fitting. Maybe Jamie has read a book uh, once upon a time. It's possible. The echo that I felt when I was watching this scene It felt very much to me like something that Michael Scott of The Office might have done. It had a a Michael Scott flavor to it, I thought. Yes, Michael would indulge himself in some persona that were of questionable taste. Dr. Sharon looks on and with her characteristic mean of subtle amusement and more obvious judgment, wonders if this attempt by Ted to make himself the villain so that the team will band together and accept Jamie could ever work. And of course, it does not. With Keeley's help, Sam has obtained a deal with Dubai Air, a fictional airline. When brimming with pride, he shares this news with his family, 
his father informs him that Dubai Air is owned by Cerithium Oil, a company that pollutes the coast of his homeland, Nigeria, and bribes the country's government to look the other way. Sam wants out of this deal, and Rebecca offers to get him out of the arrangement since she knows the head of Cerithium Oil. But when she calls the company's CEO, he says, of course, he'll let Sam out. But with a big condition, she has to kick Sam off the team. Now, these three threads do come together. These three stories, these A, B, and C lines do come together. Of course they do. This is Ted Lasso. When, with Nora's help, Rebecca drafts an email to the head of Cerithium, making it clear that she will not fire Sam. And this is a nice moment, sort of an inverse version of Key and Peele's anger translator sketches, in which Jordan Peele would play Obama, speaking in typical measured Obama tones, and Keegan-Michael Key says what the Obama character really means in no uncertain term. Here, Rebecca translates Nora's kind of aggressive language into adult and workplace politeness. I think this is a moment which reveals the ways in which we often do find ourselves crafting very cordial missives when we feel much more determined, annoyed, even aggrieved. Yeah. I agree. We all have written emails in anger that we have had to translate through our own anger filter. I also thought a little bit about British politeness, right? She was turning on the British politeness filter. We know that the British will say things like, that's a very interesting idea, when really what they mean is it's a terrible idea. So felt like an echo of that as well. Yes. And we have discussed this in a prior episode. Sam, meanwhile, decides to cover the Dubai Air logo on his football jersey. When he explains why, the other Nigerian-British players follow suit. And then Jamie steps up to do the same. We're on the same team, he says. We have to wear the same kit. When the team marches onto the field at the start of the game, they remove their jackets to reveal that they all have covered up the logo in solidarity with Sam and, we into it, in league with Jamie. Despite losing the game, to see the team gathered around Nora, once again, happily united. And there are a bunch of references in here. We often pick apart those references. I'm going to let most of them lie this time, but there is one I did want to point out, which is early on when Ted, Rebecca, and Flo are speaking, Ted excuses himself from what he finds to be a rather uncomfortable conversation by saying something like, as the man says, Let's make today our masterpiece. And the man here is Coach John Wooden. We have spoken about Wooden a couple of times, the importance of John Wooden's pyramid of success for Ted Lasso's philosophy, for Jason Sudeikis' approach to making art. And even between seasons, I did a little episode just on the second tier of John Wooden's pyramid of success. And if you're interested, you can go listen to that. I really enjoy the Easter eggs, so to speak, that Ted Lasso includes in these episodes. And I think the John Wooden Easter eggs are the most fun for me because they're obviously for a very small audience of people who know John Wooden well enough to recognize a phrase like that. So Kathy, what did you see in this episode? In this episode, I'm seeing mostly new themes, not a lot of callbacks. And I think there are two very obvious, important themes that have resonance for those of us who are navigating the workplace. The first theme I would say is the difficulty of repairing relationships at work once they get damaged. And I would say the second theme is how do you live your values at work? 
what are some of the difficult things that can happen when you try to live your values at work and why you might want to, despite the difficulty of doing that. So let's talk about that first one, repairing relationships, making amends. Obviously, most of us have not reached Jamie Tart levels of alienation from our coworkers or teammates, but we all have run into issues at time from time where we are having challenges finding that path back to a cordial, collegial working relationship. Jamie is a special case in almost all ways, but as somebody who's done executive coaching for many years now, it's actually one of the reasons why coaches get called in into the workplace is because there is somebody who has damaged relationships and needs help figuring out how to repair them. And obviously, if you've damaged relationships by doing what you think is right, it is pretty confusing what it is you're exactly supposed to do to repair them. And I think that applies to Jamie. I mean, Jamie knows that he stepped over the line in meaningful ways. And so he starts out where pretty much anybody would with an apology. So we, as the viewers, already know that this is going to be a major part of the episode because Trent Krim of The Independent has already asked a question about it during the press conference that we see pretty close to the start of the episode. There's always a press conference. And Trent always is very helpful in identifying important parts of the episode in his questions. And so what Trent says essentially is, Ted, you've created a great environment on your team, what is the return of Jamie going to do to it? And Ted's response is pretty wooden-esque, if you think about it. Ted says, Jamie's on a path to being a better man, and I'm just here to help him along that journey. So once again, Ted is putting Jamie's growth and Jamie's journey front and center and dodging, to some extent, the question of what the return of Jamie might do to the morale of the rest of the team. As you noted in the rundown, this is going to be a hard hill for Jamie to get up to the top of. Just apologizing is not enough. They first do what you see a lot in the workplace, actually, when people open the door to it. You see what I call the airing of the grievances. If there is a toxic high performer like Jamie in the workplace, and if people are offered the opportunity to describe the grievances they have against this person, they often will take that opportunity. Grievances get stored up a lot in workplaces. And I think it sort of is a necessary first step for people to be able to say what it is they feel has happened that has injured them. What often happens, though, when people have damaged relationships in the workplace is they can listen to the grievances and they can apologize. But when forgiveness is not immediate, it gets frustrating for the people who have issued apologies. They feel like, haven't they done enough? Jamie at one point chalks up the lingering resentment that he's seeing and feeling to jealousy. I think we as the audience know that is a very superficial reading of what's going on on this team. And it really makes us wonder whether Jamie is up to this. On the theme of relationship repair, it is not just Jamie who has a task to address here. It's obviously also the thing that Rebecca faces in her relationship with Nora. Same kind of situation. Rebecca has damaged that relationship. Six years of really being an absent godmother has left Nora with some resentment. Rebecca very clearly knows that she has a lot of making up to do. Yes. And the solution given to her by Roy, which is 
don't try to entertain kids, just bring them into your life, which is an optimistic notion in my experience, but still an interesting one. She does bring Nora into the workplace and it's a big hit. Nora, as we said, turns out, understands marketing, understands business models and cost structures. And I think it's a testament to her personally, but also I believe it's a little bit of a reminder that exposing kids to basic business concepts early on, it can be for some, it's interesting. I think that is one of the main pleasures of this episode is that what essentially starts to feel like really misguided bribery on Rebecca's part to buy Nora expensive teas and fancy dolls is actually completely pointless. And that really the thing that starts them off on a better foot is for Nora to just get a better sense of who Rebecca is, just get a window into her world. And that business acumen that Nora starts to demonstrate is really very delicious as a viewer to watch her blossom in this way. It's very exciting. So can you tell us a bit about living your values at work? Yes. So that is the second theme that we're looking at here in this episode. I'm going to say as a member of Generation X that I never believed that you could live your values at work. I don't want to speak for a whole generation, but I think there are other people like me who really felt like it was more a choice. You can opt out of the business world and become a teacher or an activist or something like that. And therefore you were kept pure from the business world, or you could go into business and then you were a sellout. That sort of was what the choice felt like us back then. The millennials and Generation Z, of course, are leading the way and showing us a more sophisticated answer to this question, which is, I think a lot of people in the workplace don't feel like they have to check their values at the door. They feel like they can be part of business and also do good in the world. And I think that's the territory that we're going into in this episode. So Sam is an employee, so to speak, of his football club. And he's faced with a choice about whether he's willing to be featured in an ad campaign for a company that's owned by a company whose actions don't reflect his values. And he runs the risk of damaging his own relationships as a result of continuing to represent this particular corporate sponsor. I mean, his dad gives him a pretty serious guilt trip about this. Yeah. And as you noted, being Gen X, we were convinced that working was giving up your values. And that's changed. We know that often empowered by things like Slack, that inside companies now, younger people, millennials, Gen Z, you know, are in fact saying, no, we want this company to reflect our values. This is a huge change. It did not used to be, to my knowledge, that people who worked inside companies said to their bosses, no, we want this company to reflect our values, not just corporate values, not just investors' values, not just your values, but our values. And there have been some pretty major uprisings at places like Google around various issues. Completely. And it's very powerful and inspiring to hear these stories about people who almost take on activist-like roles within these big companies and lead these efforts to try to help the company do better and be better, which are often successful. I also think that the subplot around the dating app banter that Keeley is doing some freelance support for is 
connected to this theme because the whole idea of banter is that it's a dating app that's trying to get rid of a lot of the toxic things that happen with dating apps. It's trying to be a more socially responsible version of a type of social media product that has a pretty low reputation. And essentially it's putting its corporate values forward in the way that it's addressing this particular market. So to me, that felt reinforcing of the idea of values and living them. And I think you see these two themes coming together at the end. Absolutely. I believe that the two themes on the one hand, the importance of repairing relationships, and on the other hand, the theme of living your values at work, I think the two themes converge in really interesting ways in maybe the back third of this episode. First of all, they converge in a pretty ironic way. When one of the ideas that Jamie lands on for getting the team to like him again is to buy every member of the whole team a PS5, he's missing the point completely. What they want him to do is to live the team's values, to show that he understands the values and to live them. They are not interested in gifts. You know, much like Rebecca tries to buy the doll for Nora, he's thinking, you know, just opening his wallet is going to be the way to repair these relationships. And it's not because it's not values driven. I would also say that Ted's transformation into Led Tasso is another really misguided attempt to repair relationships in a non-values driven way. So essentially what Ted is trying to do is stop living his Ted-like values, become the anti-Ted, become the terrible coach, and in so doing, make the team angry at him, manipulate them into directing their anger elsewhere and make Jamie look better in contrast. I think it's very clear this isn't going to work because where I think this episode is going is the only way to repair relationships is to connect more deeply with your values, not to stop living them. I just want to point out one thing around this, which is some portions of the lead Tasso seem to me to be either improvised or Jason Sudeikis is very good at pretending he's improvising. Uh, so the, do you want to marry the ball moments where he just sort of says random things kind of very quickly has a real feel like he's making it up on the spot. As we said, Jason Sudeikis, Brendan Hunt and others from the creative team met doing improv. And I think we see Jason Sudeikis' improv skills at work, or at least it seems that way. I think that's a good insight. I know that I would almost feel tempted to just say to Jason Sudeikis, okay, improvise this part. So we've seen two examples of where characters fail to repair relationships successfully because they fail to live their values. There is a very good example of essentially the opposite. And that's what happens between Rebecca and Nora. So Rebecca faces the challenge of repairing a relationship with Nora and her attempts to bribe her by buying her dolls and fancy teas and that kind of thing is not successful. What ultimately ends up making a difference in Rebecca's endeavor here is that she opens up to Nora about who she is, what she does. She welcomes Nora into the workplace and shows her how she operates. And when Rebecca is faced with an important test of her values by being asked to get rid of Sam and take him off the team, it results in a very important opportunity to repair her relationship with Nora. So Nora, who we know really likes Sam, Sam is her favorite player, 
believes that this is a ridiculous request. And Nora offers advice to Rebecca on how to push back against this request. Nora says, sometimes you have to do the right thing, even if it hurts you. Rebecca takes this advice to heart. By accepting Nora's influence, letting her be wise, letting her influence Rebecca's own decision-making, and most importantly, by taking her counsel to live her values, Rebecca is able to successfully put the relationship back on good footing. Do we see a similar dynamic in Jamie's case? Absolutely. All of Jamie's efforts to repair relationships with his teammates were not driven by values. They were driven pretty superficially. But Jamie finally gets it. When Sam covers the logo on his uniform, Jamie steps up. And Jamie understands that this is a test of his ability to show his values. In fact, he even inspires the rest of the team to reinforce Sam's values and to stand with the other Nigerian British players and thereby show their unity as a team. And it is this and only this that repairs the relationship between Jamie and the team. And I think this speaks to the title of this episode, Do the Rightest Thing. Now, people are seeking to do the right thing throughout this whole episode. But importantly, Do the Right Thing is at its core about a protest by people in Brooklyn against what they saw as racism, both in terms of a wall of photographs at a local pizzeria and also police brutality against a member of the community. And they act strongly against that. But it's from, if you will, the street. It's a protest from below against uh, institutions. This is different in my mind. This is internal to a company. This is inside a company. There's some continuities here, but there's also some differences. Yeah, I agree. I think that oftentimes we think that we, when we're inside of institutions, we have to live the institution. I, I think people do feel powerless to some extent to live their own values within big institutions. But as we've said, you don't have to be, but it takes the same kind of courage. Whether you are standing up both within or outside of an institution, that's why the phrase is do the right thing. It's not do the easy thing, do the obvious thing, it's do the right thing. And that can come with consequences. But I think what we see in this episode, it also comes with some immediate upsides, including deepening relationships with others around you. Yeah, so it works on various levels. Sam's protest and the team's protest works on the level of reunifying them. It also works on the level of political protest. They are standing up to what they see as environmental destruction and political corruption. So that's season two, episode three, Do the Rightest Thing. Coming up, season two, episode four of Ted Lasso, Carol of Bells. 